Hello, and welcome to another edition of New Books in Systems and Cybernetics, a podcast channel of the New Books Network. I'm your host, Tom Schult, from the University of British Columbia. In their volume, New Horizons for Second Order Cybernetics, out from World Scientific in 2017, editors Alexander Riegler, Carl H. Mueller, and Stuart A. Umpleby have assembled almost 60 articles, including their own analyses, in order to test what they have dubbed the Klein-Martin Hypothesis that, quote, as a research program, second-order cybernetics was A, insufficiently developed, B, has had no sustainable consequences for other scientific disciplines in the past, and C, will remain mostly irrelevant in the future, end quote. Surveying the expansive terrain covered by the contributing authors from scientific domains such as mathematics, psychology, and consciousness research, and non-scientific ones such as design theory and theater studies, They conclude that while the first two claims of the Klein-Martin hypothesis must be confirmed, the third regarding its future prospects can be confidently rejected. By recreating for the first time second-order cybernetics in a systematic way as a comprehensive and transdisciplinary research program and introducing the notion of endo-research or research from within a domain of study, this volume positions the field to amplify its potential for facilitating increasing degrees of reflexivity across all fields of inquiry and endeavor in the 21st century. In my conversation with editor and master storyteller Carl Mueller, we revisit the two separate and often confused foundation moments of second-order cybernetics, tangle with grumpy students of Ross Ashby, celebrate Heinz von Furster's 80th birthday in a crowd of over a thousand at Vienna's City Hall, and celebrate the virtues of being a slow learner. I hope you find your time with Carl as entertaining and stimulating as I always do. And just a little uh, note for uh, transparency's sake, I do have a piece in this book that we're about to talk about. But without further ado, here's my conversation with Carl Mueller. Carl Mueller, it is such a pleasure to welcome you to New Books and Systems and Cybernetics. Thank you so much uh, for taking the time to uh, be with us today. Uh, thanks, Tom. I'm very excited uh, as well to talk with you and to share some ideas and thoughts. Uh. So as is traditional on the channel uh, and across the New Books Network, we'll start with just a question about your uh, biography, your sort of academic intellectual trajectory and uh, how you traveled uh, to an engagement with the field of cybernetics. Maybe I should uh, tell a very unusual story uh, how I came to cybernetics. I'm not the youngest person anymore, so I'm 65 uh, this year. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, we had uh, I had a very interesting high school in in uh, not in Vienna but in Leoben in Styria. And uh, we had a teacher there. He was responsible for religion uh, or religious uh, as, a, as a subject. And uh, he was a conservative person. And uh, he was one of uh, 20 important uh, young conservative persons back in the uh, period of 66 to 1970 and in 68 I was uh, on the fifth or sixth grade of the high school in Leoben 
<clears throat> he wrote an article. Uh, we had a, a annual report of the school, and here he wrote an report about cybernetics. And this was uh, 68, 1968, and he, in these five or six pages, he said, cybernetics will become the most important uh, intellectual field in the, for the rest of the 20th century. And he gave a very short outline of what cybernetics is, uh, referring to the book of uh, Robert Wiener. And uh, I remember quite vividly, he also gave a lecture at uh, the, was a lecture hall in Leoben. Uh, Leoben is a very small town, <clears throat> um, roughly 200 kilometers, kilometers away from Vienna. And he talked about cybernetics there as well. And uh, from this, this, these weeks onward, uh, I, cybernetics became a very special field and had a very special meaning for me. Uh, so, so, and, and I tried to learn more about cybernetics. And uh, as you probably know, one couldn't uh, study cybernetics uh, within uh, the Austrian uh, uh, university system and, 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 and so on, but cybernetics had some sort of magic touch from these articles onward and uh, um, <laughs> I lost uh, contact to cybernetics uh, when then when I started uh, studying at the University of Graz and then in, in, in the United States and so on, but uh, when in the 1980s, I established some contacts with Heinz von Förster. And from then onward, cybernetics was again within my agenda. And, and then I um, had my very strong affair with uh, cybernetics uh, based on Heinz von Förster, uh, whom I accompanied uh, from the 80s until to the year 2002 when he uh, actually died. Mm -hmm. And what led you to, to seek out Heinz at that time? Uh, <laughs> this was uh, also a rather funny uh, incident. Um, I... It was mid-80s, and I was uh, buying a lot of new books, trying to get uh, hold of uh, uh, this new literature and self-organization and, uh, and, and so on. And within this uh, context, uh, there were suddenly three books uh, in German, one by Umberto Maturana with uh, articles uh, of, of, of Umberto, one about Ernst von Glasersfeld uh, with articles of uh, relevant articles of Ernst and uh, one with Heinz von Förster with uh, a lot of uh, 
interesting articles by Heinz. Uh, they, they were also, they were all in the very special uh, German publishing house. And uh, I was attracted most to the book by Heinz because uh, on page one, I saw that Heinz was born on the 13th of November. And uh, Heinz added he was born on a Friday. Uh, uh, <laughs> it was Friday the 13th of November and I was immediately uh, very much attracted because I was born on Friday the 13th of November and, and uh, it turned out uh, I was the only one who was actually born on Friday the 13th of November Heinz was uh, in in, in in 1989, it, it was not a Friday, it was a Tuesday. And, and someone noted uh, and wrote a very angry email uh, that how I, I, I promote fake news uh, and, and, and because that's not a Friday, that's a Tuesday. And I said, okay, sorry. Uh, but... Uh, for Hans, it was very natural. He it had to be a Friday uh, if, if, if it's the 13th of November. So this was the immediate attraction to... We had the same birthday, uh, 13th of November. Well, of course, Heinz as a magician was a very practiced at sleight of hand as well, right? So... We have to. We'll have to give absolutely yes. Give him, yes. Give him room for that one. Um, and when yes. you you mentioned this magic touch that cybernetics had for you, even at a young age, can you tell us a little bit about what 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 specifically about it gave it that magic touch that made you find it so compelling, uh, even just back in high school? It was simply the the the, the fact that uh, um, when I was fifteen or sixteen years old, I never heard of cybernetics, uh, and. Uh, but uh, this person uh, who wrote this article, who made the, this lecture, he was—he uh, had three. He was very impressive as an intellectual person. He had three doctorates: uh, one in theology, one in law, and there's a special uh, doctorate, PhD. Uh, you could make at that point, at that time, uh, if you had a, a law doctorate uh, and wrote an additional dissertation, you you, you got. Uh, uh, Doctorate. So he he was a unique person with three PhDs, and uh, had some sort of uh, very authoritative aura. Aura, and he and he said, uh, "Look, if you want to get into the secrets of the rest of the 20th century." Go to cybernetics. Uh, that's the field. And and uh, I had him also for one year in school, high school, as a teacher. And uh, my immediate reaction was then at that time I started to buy books. Uh, Pocket books and so on, and uh, they had a version of Norbert Wiener's uh, book on cybernetics translated into German, and so I immediately bought a 
The pocketbook of Norbert Wiener didn't understand a word, although it was in German, but uh, it added to the mystery that this is something very important. Uh, I didn't understand the word, and uh, so um, I should uh, stick to it uh, because that uh, will be very important for the rest of my life, according to the person uh, who wrote this article in the year 1968. Well, so I'm hoping it has revealed the to- secrets of the 20th century and the 21st to you. Uh, it's done a lot of that for me, so maybe we'll get into some of those. Um, so what prompted this particular book that you've co-edited with Alexander Riegler and uh, Stuart Umpleby? And initially, I, it, I know it was uh, a large portion of it was initially came out as an issue of the journal uh, Con- Constructivist Foundations. And then with a bunch of additional um, material, it's now come into this book uh, with over 60 articles in the final book. So what was the impetus for you and, and Alexander to, uh, to start this project? As I told you, I had uh, started with uh, close relations with Heinz uh, von Furst uh, uh, around uh, the year 85-86. And uh, I think in the year 87, I invited Heinz von Furst for the first time uh, myself to Vienna. And he came to Vienna and he had had a big leg lecture there and 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 uh, we didn't only have this lecture there but Heinz stayed in Vienna within his favorite hotel uh, and we had a lot of possibilities to talk uh, there while while he was uh, in Vienna for the first time and I had someone from the Austrian radio, uh, and uh, we had a wonderful four or five hour conversation with Heinz, and uh, which was then uh, also very early, I think in 87 or 88, uh, <clears throat> was used for a one hour broadcast uh, by uh, the main Austrian uh, radio station, uh, Austria One, and, and, and uh, this was uh, the title of the, the program was Mention Builder, which means uh, uh, <clears throat> it was a f- focus on uh, the biographies uh, of, of a person, and uh, he, he d- done a very, very good job in, in, in uh, reducing the, the four-hour talk into a very impressive one-hour program of uh, Heinz. And uh, from these early talks onward, Heinz, he had, who had a very uh, <clears throat> characteristic voice and way of uh, talking, and uh, he told me about this the mystery and the wonderful things of second order cybernetics and uh, one has to uh, study not uh, pursue not only cybernetics but second order cybernetics and uh, so <clears throat> I didn't have only have uh, the mystery now of cybernetics but also the additional mystery of second order cybernetics and uh, from these uh, 
from this period of uh, 87 onward, I was constantly on track on se what second order cybernetics meant. And uh, I must say that uh, only after, basically after finishing the book, I'm now in a position that I think I confidently know or can roughly say what the, this second order cybernetic means uh, according to Heinz and uh, in a way so that it really makes a difference to first order cybernetics and uh, so it was a very long story a very long journey started in <coughs> the story on cybernetics started in 68 the story on second order cybernetics roughly in the, from, from 87 onward and we are now in the year 2018 and uh, <laughs> only at this point I'm uh, somehow confident that uh, I can say something meaningful on the distinction between first order cybernetics and second order cybernetics. All right. Well, let's uh, get into it then. So uh, Heinz's distinction, of course, the f famously uh, when he said that um, first order cybernetics is the cybernetics of observed systems and second order cybernetics is the cybernetics of observing systems. But of course, we also have this second origin moment that um, people uh, like to quote. And I'm glad, so glad that you talk about the the differences between these two origin moments because they're often quoted in in they'll be quoted together in the same paper by various writers, but they seem to imply something not entirely the same. In the um, the other the moment as I'm talking about is Margaret Mead at the very first uh, meeting of the American Society for Cybernetics saying that. Um, that what if this organization that's a cybernetics organization conducted its business in, in a cybernetic fashion and so but there are some there are some important differences are there not between those two sort of origin ideas and the way they get i think played out in in the developments that you uh that you and and your co-editors uh, come through with the book in terms of endo methodologies and exo methodologies and second order science etc um that that those distinctions start with actually the fact that Heinz's definition and Margaret Mead's uh, initial um, ideas are are not completely the same. Is that true? Absolutely, as Heinz would have said. Absolutely, absolutely <laughs> true. Uh, I mean, he wouldn't wouldn't have said true. Absolutely, yes, phenomenal. <laughs> uh, because uh, that's really. Uh, in, in, in recent, uh, in the last one or two years, uh, I had some lectures on, uh, and I start with the proposition that we have a too many twos around, which means uh, we talk about uh, second order cybernetics, second order science, uh, and, and, and uh, there are a lot, a, a lot of other uh, differentiations uh, with a second and um, my current point is the following that uh, um, when Heinz uh, wrote about 
second order cybernetics for the first time he was referring to the observer and and you all already mentioned uh, second order cybernetics is cybernetics including the observer you also noted very correctly there's margaret mead and she talked about cybernetics of cybernetics and cybernetics of cybernetics in margaret mead sense is absolutely not the same as second order cybernetics is hindsight um and uh, I came on the this uh, on a promising track to dissolve the mystery of second order cybernetics when I when it was Heinz's 90th birthday, and for Heinz's 90th birthday, which was uh, celebrated uh, was a huge celebration in, in, in Vienna Vienna City Hall the, the Vienna City Hall prepared 1500 seats for this lecture and uh, there were more than 2000 people so there were 500 people standing uh, to listen to Heinz and in in this context we made um, a movie I flew to Heinz and uh, with a filmmaker and uh, she made a movie and the big topic was uh, <laughs> Heinz was the leading question um, you have now very limited time and you should name the five most important publications you had you had more than 300 uh, publications, research reports, and so on, but you are only allowed to pick out five. And uh, <laughs> I, as an interviewer, made the mistake, and he didn't, he had prepared four, uh, not five, but uh, I simply assumed that uh, the, his first publication, this was uh, a quantum mechanic uh, investigation study of memory. Uh, th this was uh, written in 48, and this was his uh, huge uh, entrance ticket to the United States. In the year 48, he was still uh, working with the Austrian radio station, had no PhD, no academic credentials, but uh, in '48, he wrote this book on memory, a quantum mechanic uh, study, and then he mobilized his contacts he had uh, in the United States, and uh, <clears throat> through this publication, he came into the circles of uh, Warren McCulloch and cybernetics and so on. So I simply assumed that this must be one of his most important publications, and he then ad hoc added this as the fifth one, and, and said, okay, you know, if, if you think that's so important, uh, I stick with it, I go with it. Uh, so uh, i telling you, you now about my five most important publications, um, starting with the memory pocket uh, and his entrance to the United States. Uh, but uh, he then uh, had uh, one publication um, in, in, in the, from 59 and 60. Then 
and his article on 61 on population bump. Uh, and, and this was, uh, these two were uh, very important for him because here he um, used uh, for the first time and he was a, uh, uh, a <clears throat> constructed uh, the so-called first equation was a hyperbolic equation and then and, and, uh, these two publications were for him extremely important uh, the third one was the book uh, small article on, on, on eigenforms and uh, objects token uh, uh, and uh, then he said but uh, the fifth most important publication that was this was this wonderful article uh, um, in uh, in the lecture in in, in Paris in, in ninety on ninety one and uh, I don't have now the exact title in front of me but uh, uh, I was extremely surprised and look kinds. Uh, what are you talking now about? But he was, he was, you wrote so many important pub and, and this very strange article should be, should, is one, even one of your four most important publications. And, uh, but, uh, we let him talk, uh, recorded it. And, uh, <clears throat> so it was then in my, list of Heinz's five most important publications. There was this uh, strange short article lecture he had in uh, uh, Paris. Uh, and there was some, there was also, at, at the end of it was an interview with, uh, and this was also in, 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 in this text. And, and I thought, um, maybe he is now too old, 90 years old, and, and, and uh, but, uh, then quite some time passed, and Heinz passed away as well. Then I read this article again, and uh, I read this article again and again. And uh, in recent times, I even found uh, an article which was formatted in the way which was uh, formatted by Heinz himself. And this was this type of formatting was not the same one which was, uh, for example, used in the Springer volume, uh, where this lecture is also included. Uh, and and so suddenly I realized why this article is of such fundamental importance to Heinz, because here he makes a distinction. Between um, he's not talking about observer or observed system or so on, but he's talking about two fundamental attitudes or uh, dealing with the world. And uh, the first one is the traditional one of uh, being outside. Uh, De dealing with some sort of world as it is. And the second one is uh, an attitude of being in the world, being part of the world. 
and and not uh, as an abstract observer, but as an as a researcher, as a human being, as a person. You are part of the world, and uh, you give us an account of the world as. <laughs> Not as you see it, only subjectively, but you are, uh, and the others, uh, they are part of the game. And this distinction between, uh, and then I <coughs> made uh, a, a distinction which could, you using some new words for it, uh, and that's the exo and endo distinction. Exo is being outside uh, and being looking at an objective reality. Endo is uh, being part of the myself as researcher included. That's endo. And uh, in the interview, he makes it then clear this is uh, what he basically had in mind with respect to second-order cybernetics. It was uh, cybernetics from within. Uh, the researcher is part of the enterprise and uh, he is endo, within. And, and, and uh, if you read it, uh, if you look the, at this article, then it becomes very obvious that uh, this is the basic distinction Heinz was uh, driving at and therefore this article was of such uh, fundamental importance to him. But it took me uh, uh, from 87, uh, it took me almost uh, 2015, 2016, so we are talking about uh, 30 years of uh, tr trying to get hold of this, this distinction. I can't tell you how edifying this is for me to be hearing the story of one of my favorite scholars of cybernetics, being you, basically portrait of a slow learner, which is, <laughs> <laughs> which is really, it's, I feel so much better about myself. <laughs> That's that's a wonderful metaphor. Uh, it's looking back at this way. I'm really a slow learner, and and it's interesting uh, also in in terms of. Uh, um, <laughs> I, I was a particularly slow learner because uh, I had uh, was a very good friend also to Randolph Glanville. And I learned uh, about Reynolds uh, through Heinz and so on, and from the 19, around nine, the ni early 1990s, I invited uh, Reynolds for the first time to Vienna, and uh, we had a very, very uh, uh, close relationship, and I was then responsible uh, also for um, editing the major work of Ranulf uh, in three volumes. And he wanted to have it arranged in a very, very special way, which is, uh, so, so, so we had uh, the, <clears throat> the normal edition of the three volumes of Ranulf, uh, but we also had uh, the 
black box edition of the and and, and we produced 50 copies of the Reynolds Glanville the, the book was three books were called the black box and Reynolds wanted to have it as a black box and so these very special 50 editions was uh, looked uh, the following way if you um, saw them for the first time you saw a black box and uh, then if you look at it more closely you saw that uh, uh, this black box contained contains something uh, and if you then uh, took out one book uh, this book was again a black box and uh, was black. No title, no name, nothing on it, uh, simply black. And you look the second volume, the same, quite black. The third one, <laughs> totally black, no, na no name, nothing. So you had uh, a black box, three black boxes within a black box. And uh, Reynolds uh, didn't see this final edition uh, materialized because, unfortunately, um, this was when we finished uh, the black box of black boxes. Uh, Reynolds passed away. He had uh, cancer and uh, oh, three types of cancer and 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 uh, passed away very very quickly and and, and, and uh, at the end uh, unexpectedly so he didn't see his black box uh, black box black box black box edition but uh, it, it, it's there and uh, Randolph was also talking from the early 1990s uh, to the year 2014 when he died that uh, he is the only one who had uh, who is doing second order cybernetics and uh, it took he is talking about it more than 20 years I heard many many lectures uh, with Reynolds uh, and we had one meeting place this was a world conference in, in Orlando and uh, we used to go there uh, and we had uh, stayed there for one week and we had uh, this uh, <clears throat> routine of uh, listening to the lectures in the morning uh, but in the afternoon it was orlando florida summer it was extremely hot we were sitting on the pool and on the bar of the pool and we talked about uh, in the most wonderful atmosphere in the hottest atmosphere we talked for hours about uh, new news within cybernetics and so on and uh, <clears throat> i stick to my being a very very slow learner because uh, <laughs> I said, oh, okay, you are doing, you are the only one who does second order cybernetics, uh, assuming that I did uh, uh, second order cybernetics as well. But uh, it took me, um, Reynolds died, and I, then I, there was a memorial volume, and I, really started to write an article about Reynolds and suddenly 
adhering to my metaphor of a, or your metaphor of a slow learning, suddenly I realized, oh, oh God, he was correct. He was the only one who was uh, doing second order cybernetics properly. And, and uh, when I wrote an article about uh, the research program of uh, Randolph Canville, and uh, this is also uh, uh, <clears throat> yeah, and, 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 uh, an interesting version of uh, second order cybernetics. Mm-hmm. I just want to, I believe the, the paper we've been talking about of Heinz's is uh, ethics in second order cybernetics. Is that correct? Yes. And yes. Yeah. And of course he says, I don't think in that paper, but in another one, he asks the question, am I an observer who stands outside and looks in as God Heinz, or am I part of the world, a fellow player, a fellow being? This is exactly in in this article, and and then and this this is and the, there's also in, in another article on, on, of Heinz uh, from the same time, also around 1990 uh, on reflexivity, and these are uh, the two um, authoritative texts uh, where he really um, is also for himself serious of what second order cybernetics could mean should mean and uh, and and uh, what i then later on tried to say look if you second order cybernetics uh, it's uh, this endo thing you are with you, you can do endo sociology you can do endo economics you can do End of cybernetics uh, and so on, but in all of these aspects, you are with it, you are part of the game. You are a fellow observer, and and uh, it's something like uh, um, I will just, just uh, some weeks ago I wrote now an article about uh, <clears throat> the most important Austrian physicist uh, was Ernst Mach, uh, who was a physicist of the 19th, second half of the 19th century, and and uh, I'm um, in in reading uh, various aspects of Ernst Mach. Uh, he, he had this. Um, he had such a scope and breadth, and 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 uh, and he was uh, also. Using uh, he, in in some of his work, he was uh, explicitly starting with himself and uh, with the way he sees it, and 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 uh, it, it was uh, this exo endo thing is not a new thing. It's an it's a very old thing. If we go back to Ernst Mach in the nineteenth century, he used it, uh, but he didn't make any major uh, fuss out of it but he used it in a very natural way and in 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 uh uh within the group of constructivists it's probably francisco varela who was the most explicit person uh following this path of uh, being a fellow player staying within and uh, it's this uh, phenomenological notion uh, or, or, or in, in, in Barela, which comes 
which, which is basically the same thing which Heinz wanted to uh, adhere to uh, or uh, focus on being part of the world, being a uh, um, fellow player and, and not a part in the sense of separated. Right. And it's, you know, all um, all sort of uh, facetiousness about your slow learning aside, there is uh, something about these ideas that on the surface are so deceptively simple. I'm um, even back to first order cybernetics in terms of goals and feedback and self-correction. And then second order cybernetics and so this endo mode that you're talking about, about, well, you, you put yourself inside it, but it is a radical shift of epistemology uh, when you look at the enterprise of science as it's as it's done in in the West, and uh, not to pay lip service to the observer, but to but to keep the observer foregrounded and to look at all descriptions, uh, even scientific ones, as the descriptions of an observer who is a part of the domain in which they're observing. I mean, in the, all those great sort of koans that Heinz would spin out like, you know, a theory of a brain has to be able to write itself because a brain is needed to write a theory of the brain and just never letting go of the embeddedness in our own descriptions. And and then that, the, and that there's an ethics involved and that there's an epistemological humility that doesn't either collapse into kind of solipsism, um, but it, 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 it makes the the uh, us responsible for our own descriptions, and, and that's work that Ranulf really, I think, advanced. And uh, it takes a long time to grasp, I think, the full implications of 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 what doing science or any kind of scholarship that is so prone to lapse back into this quote unquote view from nowhere, um, and to recognize one's own embeddedness and keep it foregrounded in one's work is actually a much more profound thing than it might seem on the surface. Yes, uh, and 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 I should uh, tell you an anecdote uh, which Heinz used to um, tell quite often, and then there's an anecdote about uh, Ross Ashby. Ross Ashby was the famous British cybernetician, uh, and uh, Ross Ashby moved uh, in 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 the sixties, moved uh, to Urbana. Uh, to Heinz to work there in Heinz's lab. So Ross Ashby was part of the biological PCL and 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 uh, worked <coughs> with Heinz, cooperated with Topton, and he had and Ross Ashby gave lectures to students in Urbana. And uh, Heinz thought, uh, I mean, if 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 you have Ross Ashby as a lecturer, this must be great stuff for the students, must be new. But uh, after a certain while, students came to him, to Heinz, and said, look, uh, Heinz, uh, <laughs> we tried to follow your advice. We took the course with uh, Ross Ashby and uh, but what he's talking about, that's so simple. That's so, uh, uh, I mean, we feel somehow offended and, and, and so on. Uh, should we continue with the course? Uh, Heinz said, okay, I will talk to Ross. So some days later, Heinz came across Ross and uh, 
in his friendly ways at uh, hindsight was students uh, seem to be not uh, 100% satisfied maybe 99% but uh, not 100% uh, percent. and uh, do you have any reaction to to this they say that's so simple what you say and uh, then ross smiled and said, uh, Heinz, it took me more than 30 years to make it so simple. And uh, so this was also, you don't find slow learners just uh, in front of you now, me, with 30 years, but uh, you have uh, also Ross Ashby. Yeah, so as you're, in good, a, yeah. you're in good yeah. company. <laughs> You as well. Yeah. And yeah, myself as well. I'm, yeah. Um, so the, you mentioned you, you and your co-editors identify what you call a five-fold agenda of um, second-order cybernetics. That, as it, um, as it uh, surfaces through the various contributions uh, in the book, and I've made a disclosure in our introduction that I'm, I am one of the contributors. Um, so the, the agenda number one, building an alternative general scientific methodology uh, agenda two: building specialized endo methodologies for different scientific disciplines the third is offering foundational frameworks as well as reframing and contextualizing research problems across all scientific disciplines agenda four creating reflective circular practices within applied disciplines and then agenda five building special circular reflective approaches for special niches within artistic domains so it's a pretty wide array of um, and different fields and and interests in which uh, these endo um, endo approaches have uh, very deep ramifications for the type of of work done. And I know that one of the one of the key con- uh, contributors to the book is is Lou Kaufman, a uh, brilliant mathematician, and his description of a reflexive domain, which becomes I think another another way to understand second order cybernetics. And I know that. Um, you mentioned in the book that you know it would be good to expand Lou's article into an entire handbook uh, on this notion. But can you say something a little bit about the notion of the reflexive domain and maybe how that plays out across the various uh, agendas that you identify in the book? One one point uh, now in the year in in March two thousand eighteen. I would uh, say that uh, in, in, in the book, there's only uh, uh, what should be relevant for the book is only one basic distinction. And this is the Heinz distinction between being w- within uh, a domain or uh, being without uh, a part and being uh, following this path of objectivity this is the major rule of the scientific game and uh, the rule of objectivity was uh, <clears throat> is not a natural one it had to, had to be created and uh, it dominated science uh, since uh, throughout the 20th century um, and uh, the, the, the the counterpart to the rule of objectivity is not pure subjectivity as so it's this being within a domain and being a, 
being part of it and uh, being part of it is also what uh, Luke Kaufman uh, called the uh, uh, reflexive domain in, in, in its most general way. And I should add one point about Lou um, Kaufman and his importance and his uh, immense, huge importance for the field of uh, second order uh, cybernetics and uh, um, um, it was uh, a lecture which Heinz von Förster gave on uh, I think it was the 60th birthday of uh, Niklas Luhmann and the title of the presentation of Heinz was how recursive is communication and uh, here Heinz gave a presented uh, gifts for Niklas Luhmann, four articles. And I don't go into uh, all four articles, but uh, one of the articles was uh, an article by Luke Kaufmann. And uh, the other one was by Karl Menger and, 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 and so on. But, but uh, uh, Luke Kaufmann had an extremely high, was extreme, estimated extremely highly by Heinz already in the year 1990s when he had this uh, presentation uh, of uh, Luhmann's birthday. And uh, Luke Kaufmann is really uh, a, a, a giant now in the field of. Uh, Mathematics, uh, cybernetics, systems theory, whatever you call it, uh, he has, uh, and and uh, it's uh, one of my future projects. As soon as I get uh, <coughs> have some uh, repairs with respect to my health uh, situation, but this should be over in 2020, and then uh, I have one final book project. This is with Lou and, and uh, editing a volume with relevant articles by Lou plus writing an, a proper introduction to his work and then and, and he, is, uh, he is really terrific and uh, also <laughs> being a slow learner uh, in, in uh, I think it took me to the year 2016-2017 uh, when I was able to talk with him for the first time uh, on a rather similar level so that he got interested in what I had to say and uh, I of course was always interested in what he said and uh, so we had uh, some uh, very lively uh, discussions and we were sitting in a restaurant uh, and they had uh, this paper tower paper uh, uh, on, on, on the table and he started to write on the table on the tablecloth and I was starting to adding writing myself and so we <laughs> ended up uh, after two or three hours uh, with a <clears throat> fully written uh, 
uh, tablecloth paper and and uh, but is uh, I met <laughs> I, I, I met this was possible for me in the year 2017 and I knew Lou from the 90s onward when and I was simply too shy also to talk to him uh, in a uh, more open way and then uh, so it's another metaphor of being a slow learner feeling like you can hold your own with Lou in a conversation is that does not come easily and it's not through any lack of generosity on the part of Lou Kaufman who's such a warm person but yeah his his thinking is a, a, such a such an advanced level that it's it's yeah if you think that he might actually be interested in something you have to say then you know you're you're doing something um Again, not through a lack of his desire to be interested, but it's just he's his mind is certainly one that stands tall in this field, as you mentioned. But this notion, I find that the, his his contribution to this book is is another step in helping people who don't have his advanced mathematical skills, and there's not many who do, um, who understand the notion that one acts in a domain, the domain could be mathematics, any of these places where it's possible to do endo work, whether it's you're in the domain of mathematics, you're in the domain of cybernetics, you're in the domain of, of an artistic practice as, as I am, um, and that you are in the domain, you are of the domain. When you describe the domain, you're describing something that includes yourself and that your description changes that domain. And that the activities and descriptions of everyone inside the domain is changing the domain. And we're always in a state of whatever our current description of the domain is, which is not a description of uh, a mind-independent uh, reality. But there is a, a way that we can reach uh, some kind of consensual uh, descriptions that we can share, at least to a certain degree of, of certainty, but never total certainty through, of course, the generation of eigenforms, etc. And that Lou's book really sets up that idea that one could think of every other contribution in the book as, here's another window into, into a reflexive domain, from Stuart Umpleby's descriptions of uh, the International Cultural Affairs Group and their, their community development work to... Um, Ben Sweeting's description of architecture, Bernard Scott's description of uh, psychology, that it's uh, the work, the people inside the domain change the domain, uh, and then their descriptions of it continue to re-enter and, and, and change the domain itself. Um, I think that that, that, that uh, chapter of Luz makes that in some ways the most accessible that I've, I've seen it. Yes, exactly. And, and, and the... <laughs> Talking about um, now myself <laughs> being a slow learner, um, this year I will be finishing a book on, um, we'll call it Transcendental Cybernetics. And uh, this will be more or less a formulation uh, of uh, the vision of Randolph Glanville as I see it now, uh, with all the slow learning I had. And uh, I will then uh, try to get uh, three books of mine in, not as a black box, <laughs> but, <laughs> but simply as uh, three extremely, very much related uh, books uh, which cover Basically, the one topic uh, being 
being in the world and uh, that's the book will be a book the book on, on second order science which is already in print a book which I did with a Slovenian scholar uh, where we did uh, on a worked on second order analysis of a social survey I mean totally outside cybernetics systems theory and so on it's on social surveys but Surveys, but uh, um, in a second-order way, and, uh, and and so on. And, and the third one is uh, transcendental cybernetics. That's the Reynolds Corporation, and and together they are extremely strongly interwoven. And uh, um, it should be the third book should be out then in in uh, uh, by September, October, and. Uh, uh, then I have a small hope that uh, certain Tom Scholte will call, write an email first, and uh, then uh, we can set up a date. And uh, I, I think that's quite—I think that's quite likely. Um, and I can just say that your your book about the social surveys would be an example of an endo mode, right? And the idea of, of the kind of second order. No, 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 no. It, it's okay. It, it, it's uh, oh, sorry. It, an exo mode, exo mode. That's what I meant to say. An exo mode. It, it, it's, um, it, it's, um, yes, but it, it's, uh, on, on, uh, second order science. And it's an empirical study of doing second order science, uh, which is not, uh, an, in, which doesn't follow the endo and exo distinction, but which follows the first order science, second order science distinction. But, uh, if I look at the watch now, it's almost, uh, 11 o'clock, uh, uh, PM, uh, Vienna time and, this could be also the topic uh, for a uh, September or October uh, meeting to talk about the difference between first order science and second order science, and uh, which is completely independent from uh, endo mode and exo mode. Okay. Well, thank you. You've already answered our what is our traditional last question about what you're working on now. So, uh, um, do you feel the the book? This will be my last question. The book. Um, uh, part of it was set out to see whether, you know, uh, examine the idea that second order cybernetics had been kind of marginalized and that had been uh, unable to penetrate the mainstream of academia. But you've concluded that there is a fairly promising future for second order cybernetics. Is that true? And can you say something about what you think it might still do? Yes. I mean, I, I was talking about the. <laughs> Maybe the whole interview on on, on the future of uh, and and it's not uh, um, the most important thing is uh, if you look at this endo exo thing it's not about cybernetics it, it it's about whatever you do uh, whether you do sociology economics cybernetic systems theory um, architecture literature whatever. You can do it uh, in two different ways, and uh, there's a very bright future if you do it uh, in this endo mode, whatever you do, and and uh, then that's the uh, m most important thing uh, now. On, 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 as as a slow learner, as I see it uh, now. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time, Carl. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And uh, yes, I'm looking forward to the fall when we can have you on again to discuss uh, 
particularly your work on on Ranulf, who is another amazing like giant of the field, whose work is uh, we're spending a lot of time with uh, in the years uh, since his passing, and and continuing to recognize his tremendous contributions. And you can explain to us why he really was the only person doing proper second order cybernetics in those years. Okay, thank you very much, Carl. Thank you.